Goshpods, paediatric educational podcast series from Great Ormond Street Hospital. Goshpods are brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Welcome back to another Goshpod. My name is Sarah Cook and today we are doing another episode in our selective dorsal rhizotomy series, which we will refer to as SDR for the rest of this episode, just to remind our audience. Today we have with us the lovely Lucinda Carr, who is a consultant neurologist at Great Ormond Street Hospital. Welcome. Thank, thank you, Sarah. Um, so I've been at Gosh for a very long time sort of completed my training here and then stayed on as a consultant. And I've always had an interest in movement disorders. It's my main interest. So I've been running the movement disorder clinic for, for a long time. And when we started um, becoming involved in, in SDR, um, I've been joining in the clinics since that time. I was involved in some of the commissioning as well and worked with NHS England as part of that commissioning process. Fantastic. What um, I want to start with is just sort of the eligibility criteria, if that's okay. So which children would you say are eligible for SDR? Well, well, there are two aspects to eligibility in a way. There, there are those that are now approved through NHS England, which means that this procedure is available on the NHS for those children. And there are some children outside of that that we think might be suitable for SDR. So the commissioning policy that was published by NHS England in March 19 describes the group of children that we think are suitable. And those are children with spastic cerebral palsy that mainly involves their legs. It's really important that there's no suggestion of any progressive or genetic conditions. And they need to have a rather typical MRI scan which tells us that they're likely to have spasticity. And that shows what we call white matter damage of immaturity or PVL, periventricular leukomalacia. It's really important they don't have basal ganglia or cerebellar changes on their MRI. We want to know that they're reasonably strong, uh, that they don't have bad scoliosis or dislocated hips. Those children do not do well with an SDR. And it's aimed at children to improve their walking. So it's gross motor function classification levels two and three. However, occasionally um, we see children who are a bit more involved at GMSCS4, and they in fact can respond well to an SDR, but this wouldn't be funded by NHS England. Uh, the other caveat is that children should be aged between three and 10 years of age. If, if they're younger, you can't always tell all the physical signs and they find the rehab really difficult. And if they're older, they are more likely to have problems with sensory problems afterwards. And um, often the muscles are a little bit more fixed, so they don't really respond quite so well. So we can't always make a decision on the first appointment, uh, particularly in the younger child or children with a little bit more mixed tone. And so sometimes we... Uh, recommend that the child goes away and does some more strengthening or you might try some medication and sometimes we use botulinum toxin injections as a bit of a guide to us um, and would then see the children for review before making a decision. Um, so could you tell me a little bit about what the NHS funding includes? Yes yeah, so so for the GMFs children uh, at GMFCS levels two and three it, it gives comprehensive funding so it covers the preoperative outpatient assessments. It covers the surgery and the hospital stay uh, with the acute rehabilitation. And then it also covers the recommended um, physiotherapy post-operatively in the community. 
um, which goes on for two years with more intensive physiotherapy for the first two years as recommended at each GMFCS level. And then encompassed in that are hospital reviews at six, 12 and 24 months. So that's all. What information would you say then you would need from the referrer? So, so to try and give us an idea that the child would be suitable, um, we obviously want a, a report of the child's history to date so that we can see that they are likely to have had cerebral palsy, what the risk factors were for that. We like a hard copy of the MRI scan, as well as hard copies of spine and hip x-rays if they've been done. It, it's the MRI scan that's probably the most important. Um, and we need a hard copy, not just the report. It's really useful to have therapy reports, and if they've had what's called a CPIP, which is an assessment of joint ranges and hip, uh, hip and hip um, assessment, that's useful too. We often get asked if we need gait analysis, but but that's not something that's mandatory. That's something we 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 will do ourselves if we've accepted the child onto the program. And if referrers aren't sure about the suitability, can they just refer for advice? Um, about whether the referral is appropriate? That's absolutely fine. Yes, we, we like as much detail as possible. If, if we're really unsure as well, uh, we sometimes see the children in, in our general movement disorder clinic first, and that's a clinic that comprises a neurology or neurodisability consultant along with a physio. But it's, it's in the SDR clinic that we have our neurosurgical colleagues join us. Fantastic. I think that will be really helpful summary for referrers. Could you tell us a little bit about what you look for in terms of spasticity and dystonia and how can you tell the difference? Sure. It can. It, yes. So we all, all the children that come to us have high tone in their legs and the, the, the challenge is determining how much of that is spasticity and how much is dystonia. And by spasticity, we mean the term is dynamic hypertonus, but that means a stiffness that you elicit by moving the muscle quickly so that if the child is relaxed, you can move the muscle, you can move the muscle slowly through quite a good range. But if you move it quickly, you get a hard catch in the muscle. Associated with that, you get clonus, which is the typically the shaking of the ankle that most people recognize and, and very high and hyperreflexia, often with spreading of the reflexes. Dystonia can be more subtle, but it's something that you can actually see at the end of the bed. So spasticity, you need to put your hands on the child and elicit it usually. But with dystonia, you often get involuntary posturing. And and this is brought on by effort, sometimes by stress. So we might see it if the child's using their hands or if they're talking. You begin to see some posturing of the toes. Sometimes the toes spontaneously goes up or the ankles dorsiflex. Um, So so you, you actually observe it. And we're very careful to explain it to our families because often they haven't heard of dystonia um, and they begin to think it's something like Parkinson's disease. So we're careful to explain that it's not that at all, but it is an associated movement. And it, it's so important to to distinguish the two because we know that dystonia does not benefit, you know, does not is not benefited by SDR. So we, it's really important we determine which is the most prominent cause of the high tone. They're often mixed. Uh, and the more involved a child is with their CP, cerebral palsy, so, so a GMFCS level three or four is, is almost inevitably going to have some dystonia. But if it's very distal and not a lot, we pass that. More severe dystonias often seen in basal ganglia. So if, if there's basal ganglia damage, we know that those children are going to be dystonic, but we can see it with PBL as well. So, so it's not just enough not to have basal ganglia involvement on the scan. That's the other important factor. 
Can SDR therefore be offered if there is dystonia present? So it can be if it's not if it's if it's not very pronounced, and and we often see a little bit in the feet. But if we think that that spasticity is the major factor that's causing the child to have their functional difficulties, then we would offer the SDR. So would you offer SDR to a completely non-ambulant child? Um, I mean, it would be important to consider the age of the child. So if a child was very young and, and barely three and not walking, and we thought they were still making progress and soon going to walk, we would probably wait for them to, to achieve more development. But if you have a child who's got, um, say, a GMFCS level four, and we wouldn't expect them to be ambulant, we would consider an SDR if we thought that the spasticity was holding them back. Having said that, that is not NHS England funded, so that family would need to self-fund the procedure. But we would expect it would improve floor mobility. It wouldn't enable them to walk you know, in, in, without a lot of support, but it would improve their floor mobility and remove pain. That's the other important caveat. Conversely, are there some children whose motor skills are too good to have an SDR? Yes, there there are. So GMFCS level one, which is the least involved um, form of least involved functionally, would be too good. It, it's too big a procedure to offer for that. And we also see some children at GMFCS level two who have quite a distal spasticity. So we need to see spasticity at, at least two levels so hips uh, hips hamstrings you know calves ideally and if it's very focal the spasticity very distal a child like that would probably do better with focal treatment such as orthopedic surgery so for these children um, and any others for whatever reasons who aren't suitable for SDR are there alternatives yes absolutely there are so so we would you know, there's quite a range of, of treatments and not usually one single treatment. So they might benefit from medication, tonal medications, botulinum toxin has a role, orthotics, and then orthopedic surgery, sometimes at multi-level. And for children who have very mixed tone, um, if, if oral meds are not enough, then intrathecal baclofen is another option as well. Are there any th- interventions you think teams should go ahead and expedite or completely avoid um, in children who are thinking about being referred for SDR? So there's nothing that's sort of completely prohibited, but if, if, they, if they want us to see the child to consider the benefit of SDR, our judgment would be altered if the child had recently undergone botulinum toxin injections because that, that reduces tone dramatically, both spasticity and dystonia, usually for a good four months or so. So we'd, we'd want local teams to avoid doing toxin injections in those sort of four months before our clinic. And similarly, they've had a recent tender Achilles lengthening, for example, we're not going to be able to assess their tone. So, so if they know they want us to consider SDR, better to avoid an intervention in the preceding four to six months, really. When considering SDR, is it helpful for your team to know how the child has responded to botulinum toxin in the past? Yes, yes, it is very helpful. Um, it helps us, you know, if the child has shown a significant functional improvement after botulinum toxin. It, it tells us that that high tone is, imp- is a big factor in impeding their function. 
of course, it does work against both spasticity and dystonia, so not necessarily discriminating in that way, but a good idea about the functional impact of hypotonia. And then the, the um, other thing is that it, it unmasks weakness. So it also guides us that if a child's unduly weak, they might actually deteriorate after toxin. And that, to us, would be a warning that we need to be very cautious about thinking about an SDR because that would do a similar thing. Moving from the suitability side of things, um, if a child is suitable and is being referred, what investigations get carried out as part of that assessment process? We hope that when the child comes to clinic, we've got all that background information. We've already seen the scan. We've already got an idea of the history. But we would always, so when a child comes to clinic, they they see um myself or another paediatrician with a specialty in neurology or neurodisability, they'd see a specialist physio and they'd see one of our neurosurgeons. And together we would go through the history again, bringing out the sort of developmental milestones, looking at how the child's developed and what their current issues are in terms of problems that they're encountering, particularly pain and, and work, loss of, of joint ranges, etc. Um, we'd then undertake a, a fairly... A, detailed assessment uh, physically and watching them walk and then looking at their joint ranges which most children have had done by their local physio so usually they're comfortable with that we look at muscle strength and we look at selectivity of movement as well and balance and all those other factors that can affect how a child manages and help guide us you know how a child is going to manage with an SDR and whether we think it's the right thing for them. We usually take some video. That's really useful for us as a baseline um, because then we can go back and analyze it again and have a look at the subtleties of their movement. If we then accept them for SDR, they would come back for a much more detailed pre-assessment, which has lots of standardized measures, a gross motor function measure, um, gait analysis, etc. So they have more standardized testing at that time. But in this clinic appointment, it's, it's more just deciding whether we think they might be suitable for SDR or not. Brilliant. And where can um, either um, patients or families find written or online information on the SDR process to get an idea of what, what's involved? Um, so we have a website uh, on, on the uh, GOS website, has some information. As, as I mentioned right at the beginning, the NHS Clinical Commissioning um, information about selected rhizotomy is very comprehensive. It gives some of the background and it gives a lot about how the, the funding was agreed. Um, there is a there is a GOSH SDR Facebook page, but that is run by parents rather than Great Ormond Street itself. So that that you know that's a parent's view of um, of SDR as well. And there are a lot of, if you Google it, there's a lot on the internet because America has a very big practice in offering SDR, but it's important to say that their criteria are a bit different to ours and their techniques are a bit different to ours. So if families want to get a feel for what happens here, they're best to stick to UK websites. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast and we hope to see you again very soon. Thank you for listening to GOSH Pods. If you would like more information on courses and educational opportunities offered by GOSH Learning Academy, please visit the website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy or follow us on Twitter at GOSH Learn Acad.